want to welcome you all to our service this morning. Trust that uh, the music has already been a blessing to you. Today is Father's Day, and uh, it's a special opportunity to celebrate our fathers and um, ultimately to, to honor the one true Father, um, our Father who is in heaven, and a great, great uh, choice of songs this morning in regards to honoring and, and worshiping Him. And we get the opportunity as dads here on this earth to, to um, make an effort to reflect on Him in, uh, in a good way, in a way that is honoring and pleasing, but we know that we consistently fall short, and we don't ever reach that, um, that goal of... Um, perfectly representing our Heavenly Father, but we do have the privilege of, of making an effort for it, and, uh, and God has put us here for that reason, and so we want to we thank all of our fathers who are here this morning. We want to um, bless and encourage you this morning. You play a, a big role in your family and um, as well as in this church. And so we want to celebrate you this morning and ask if you would, if you're a father here, if you would just stand for a moment, we want to um, recognize you with an applause. If you're a father, stand. Thank you very much, guys. If you would be seated. Turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Colossians. This morning, I'm going to focus a little bit this, uh, this morning's message on fathers and try to give an encouragement um, to them in regards to the role of being an influencer. The title of the message this morning is Men as Influencers. And we're not just influencers, but we're influencers are something that's very, very important. And this is an area that the, the world... And the devil has sought to undermine is the influence of, of fathers in the home. And I just want to encourage you this morning, challenge you to maybe recapture that responsibility and um, to uh, seek to be, to be the best father that you can. I also want to say this in, in way of introduction. Um, I know that there are people in our congregation this morning that didn't grow up with good fathers. And um, maybe having a message about a father isn't the most encouraging thing to you. And maybe you even have a difficult time connecting the idea of, of even a heavenly father that is, that is good and, and gracious and appropriate. And I don't want to discourage you this morning. I don't want to offend you. That's, that's not my goal um, being up here. I want to encourage you and challenge you if you're in that boat to, to know this, that, the, that there is a heavenly father and that he is good. And there is a heavenly father that is gracious and kind and loving and compassionate and forgiving. And, and that um, while you may not have had that experience on this earth, that there is a, uh, uh, an offer, if you will, of having that experience eternally. That you can go one day when you leave this life and experience uh, eternal life with a heavenly father who, who is perfect. Um, everything that you could imagine about the right father um, and then beyond that. The Bible even says that our minds cannot even fathom the um, things that our father in heaven has prepared for us. So even beyond what your imagination could be of what a good father is, God, our heavenly father, is all of those things. And um, we get the privilege of, of going, we get the privilege of experiencing his fatherlyhood 
um, now in, in, in many ways, but we, but, we, but we really look forward to that ultimate um, experience with the Heavenly Father and me, being with Him forever and enjoying, enjoying Him being our Father. And uh, there's nothing really more exciting to look forward to than that. However, with that being said, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage the men this morning about being an influence in that way. Um, by recapturing that responsibility, that, that excitement about um, influencing our families for, for the glory of God, Re- recapturing that, that um, um, responsibility and, and that privilege. I want, I want to read a, a little report that was done by um, Johnson & Johnson, a worldly company. It's interesting that, that, they, that they, they understood this because you often don't hear this kind of a concept coming from the world, but in this case, they did. They, got a, they, they grasped this. So I want to read this to you. Johnson & Johnson shared the following research findings in a report on global fatherhood and the enduring influence fathers can have on their children. And this is, ref- this is referring to a, a home with a father that is active, that is involved, that is loving, and then in kind. Nine things. It says their their children play well with others. Their wives and their children are healthier. Their their children are more prepared for school and they go on to be more successful academically. Their children start speaking earlier and and are more verbally expressive. Their children grow up less prone to depression. Their sons are less likely to be in trouble. Their daughters are more ambitious in their careers and have a more positive self-image. The research closed with this statement, fathers play an important and sometimes overlooked role in the development of their children. From their, role in, uh, from their role in prenatal care to how they play, communicate, and act as role models for their kids. Loving, engaged dads have been shown to have a tremendous impact on how their children grow up. They are truly irreplaceable. It's an interesting, it's an interesting uh, research paper, again, especially to come from the world, because the world doesn't understand this, doesn't, doesn't get this. And in many ways, um, if you watch television, if you watch sitcom for any amount of time, you will find that uh, the undermining of the role of a father is, is really a, a strong pursuit and there's a reason for that. The devil knows that we share a title with the Heavenly Father. And that because we share a title with the Heavenly Father, if he can undermine that, that title, then ultimately he undermines in, in many ways the way people view that person. And so we, we want to be careful of that. As, notice, as noted above, the influence of a father that, that a father has on a child is significant. However, a father's influence doesn't end with their children, nor does it end with success, social skills, or self-image. A father's influence is to his whole family, his children and his wife, and his influence extends beyond the physical or the natural things and extends to the supernatural things. If you'll follow along with me in our scriptures this morning in Colossians chapter number 3, And we'll begin reading in verse 12. The Bible says, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, 
kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord hath forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of God dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to, the, to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, um, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And then if you'll take your Bibles and go back to the book of Ephesians, just a few um, books to your left. Ephesians chapter number 5, we'll read a short passage of scripture here as well. We'll begin reading in verse number 22. The Bible says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that, he might, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who, loves, he, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and shall, be, shall hold fast to his wife, and they too shall become one flesh. If you'll skip down to verse uh, 1 of chapter number 6, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and your mother, for this is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction or admonition of the Lord. And we'll go back to our, our uh, text in Colossians if, we, if you want to join me back there. We're going to look... Uh, primarily to begin with at these um, verses uh, 18 and down to verse number 21. We're going to see some commands. You'll notice, you'll notice three or four commands in this passage of Scripture, all a product of the instruction that's given before. And uh, these commands have a, have a certain flow to them, and understand the flow will help us to understand what takes place when we get to the command to the, to the men. The Bible says, "'Wives, submit to your husbands.'" This is the command, and then it's followed by the reason for the command, because it is fitting to the Lord. Uh, in other words, that the, 
the command of wives submitting to their husbands, the reason for fulfilling that is that it is fitting to the Lord. It is good. It is, it is honorable. It is, it is worshipful. Um, the Bible goes on to say, um, down in uh, verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. And so a child's called to obedience. A child is commanded to be obedient to their parents because this is pleasing to the Lord. So Wives do it as an act of worship to the Lord, and children do it as an act of worship to the Lord as well. Both of them are uh, similar. They're along the same lines. He goes on in verse 22. Bond servants obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by the way of eye service as men pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. And so bond servants is also something very similar that he says is, is this is worship to the Lord. Bond servants acting a certain way towards your, towards your master is, 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 an, is an, in effect worship to God. So wives submitting to their husbands, worship to God. Children obeying their parents, worship to God. But when it comes to the command that's given to men, and, and you see the same thing over in Ephesians 5, it's the same principle. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. In other words, it's an act of worship to the Lord. Your submission, your obedience, your, um, the, way that you, the way that you act towards those um, that you're functioning with is the way that you worship God. What's unique is, is that when it comes to us men, it's different. It's not the same thing. The, the command given here is husbands love your wives and, 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 husband, and fathers do not provoke your children. But you'll notice the end of each one of those statements is nothing to do with the Lord. It's not to do this because it's pleasing to the Lord. It's not to do this because it's honoring to the Lord. It's not to do this because it's in worship to the Lord. It's not to do this because it's fearing the Lord. The instruction given to men is such that you do these things because of how it affects the people that you're doing it to. You do these things because of how it's going to influence your wife. You do these things because how it's going to influence your children. It is, it is the influence that you have in these situations and in these circumstances that is most important. And the reason why it is most important, our influence in these situations is most important is because we share we, we, we reflect on, we represent the Lord in these situations. In other words, if you go to Ephesians chapter number five, it talks about husbands love your wives in the same way that Christ loves the church. Now, why does he tell us to love our wives in the same way that Christ loved the church? Because in essence, we're representing Christ's love for the church. We are reflecting, and we talked about at the beginning of the message, the importance of our Heavenly Father, right? How loving and kind and gracious and forgiving and compassionate He is. Now we see in the text of Scripture that we are called to be a representation of that. We share two titles with our Heavenly Father. We represent, in many ways, the way that, people, that certain people view Him. So we want to represent him effectively. We want to represent him rightly to those around us in effect, okay, to impact not our wives and our children's view of us, 
but ultimately to impact our wife's and our children's view of him. To impact our wife's children's view of husbands. Did you know that God is called our husband? That we are the bride of Christ? So when you think about the idea of husband, what he's saying is, is you husbands properly represent husbands so that people will want to be in a marriage relationship with me. Our, our father in heaven is called father and we're called fathers here on this earth. The Lord wants us to properly reflect on fathering. I, I've heard preachers say before, it's hard to preach on fathering and then compare it to God the Father because people have had bad fathers. But God has ordered it in such a way that we should not take this thing lightly. We should take it seriously and father in such a way that, that we represent our Heavenly Father um, to the best of our ability, really. Because we will, we will constantly... You will never be a husband that's as good as, as Christ is. You'll never be a father that's as good as the Heavenly Father is. But we're called to strive for those things. So I want to look at a few things this morning from this text to help us understand what this all looks like. So begin with, we're going to look at the objective. What is the objective? The, the objective of being an influencer is to impact people. Okay, The objective of, of being an influencer is to impact people. The objective of being a Christian in, influencer is to impact people for Jesus Christ. Our goal is to impact people's view of the Lord. It is how, how we live our lives and how we function is to be a reflection and to impact people and what their perspective is of God. If you want to turn with me, I'm going to go back to Matthew chapter number 5. We see this uh, unfolded for us in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5. And in verse number 16, the Lord says, You are the salt of the earth. If a salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. In other words, if, if it's salt, we are the salt of the earth. If we lose our effectiveness, if we lose our, if we lose our, our, our um, impact, then we're, we're not, we have no value any longer. We lose our significance by losing our saltiness. That's what he says here is that our, our, our impact is important. He says in verse number 14, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light so shine before men or before others so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So the way that we function is meant to point people, to impact people, to influence people for the glory of God. How we function in our daily lives, how we treat people, whether or not we're forgiving, whether or not we're kind, whether or not we're patient, whether or not we're gracious, all of these things are meant to impact the way people view God the Father the way people view Jesus Christ. As you walk through life, you are a constant reflection on 
God the Father and on the Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah, Isaiah I believe it's um, either 60 or 66, talks about the light shining on us and that that light shining on us and shining through us that, 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 that many nations will come to the Lord. The impact or the influence on the light of Christ coming through us brings people to him. So that's the purpose or the, the objective, the, the motivation behind all of this is that we want to properly represent the Lord. We want to represent the Lord in such a way as to being a good father and being a good husband. Being one that people would desire to be in that same relationship. Number two, our audience. Our audience is, is, it's pretty simple from what we know from the text. Our audience is twofold. It is, the, uh, it is our children and our wives. Those are our main, that's our, that's our main audience. There is, a, there is a wrong perspective out there that our main audience would be maybe our coworkers, our careers, our neighbors, our friends, our circumstances, our situations. Uh, in other words, we continuously try to influence these things. We try to work to, to impact these things. And then we lose sight of those things that are really valuable to us, which is, which is our wife and our children. Our, our calling is to impact them. The Bible tells us in Proverbs 22, in verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not depart from it. The calling is, is to train up our children, to, to disciple them. This is the main audience that we have. This is the main impact that we have. Not just on our, our children, but also on our wives. In Ephesians 5, the scriptures talk about loving your wives or, or seeking to impact your wife through love. She is the main, she is the main object of your influence or of your impact, and your children are as well. 1 Timothy 3 and verse 4 through 5 says, in regards to leaders in the church, it says, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping the children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? Our main audience that we are uh, needing to influence and impact for the glory of God is our, is our wives and our children. How does our wife view a husband? What do they think about a husband? What do they, if they ever were to, say, lose their husband through, through, through maybe losing them in, in this life where they want to get married again because their perspective of marriage is this great perspective of marriage, or would it be, I don't ever want to enter into that relationship again because I don't ever want to have to deal with that again? It's a reflection, constantly reflecting on the relationship of marriage. Not, not just you as an individual, but it reflects on the relationship. It reflects on Jesus Christ who is going to be our, our husband. As a father, do our children, do they see those things that they would desire that they, would, that they would strive and, 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 and that they would miss if they weren't there? Or is it something where they would not um, miss those things? They would, desire not to be, they would desire to be set free from those things. Our main audience is our, our wives and children. We want to focus in and, and spend our time and energy on, on those two. 
And, and obviously, if the Lord gives us greater influence outside of that, then that's his will. But, but these are things that we're called to do, each one of us as husbands and as fathers. Number three is the instruction. There are several instructions in this passage of Scripture and in Ephesians, and we're just going to look at them very quickly. The Bible says, first of all, husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Okay, the, the basic instruction is, is singular. It's to, it's to love our wives. And the reason why we love our wives is so that they do not become embittered. That's the, the idea of this latter uh, statement is, is to love your wives so that they do not become embittered against you. They do not become bitter against you. And some uh, versions translated that you do not become bitter, but I, I believe the, the better translation is, is, to, is to, to love your wives in such a way as to not embitter them towards the relationship of, of husband. The word love here, you're familiar with it. It's a... It's a um, the idea of a, it's, it's one of the highest forms of love, uh, charity, grace. It's the, uh, translated in the New Testament, beloved, love dearly, to love somebody dearly. It, it, it carries with it this intense level of love. It's used constantly throughout the New Testament to refer to God's love. In John 3.16, for God so loved the world, it is an expression of God's love for his people. Romans 5.8, that God demonstrated his love towards us, that, that God the Father demonstrated or displayed his love towards us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the type of love that we're called to towards our wives, to love our wives, Ephesians 5, as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We see it um, on several other passages of Scripture. John 11, verse 5, Jesus' love for Mary and Martha John 14 and verse 15, our love for the Father. Uh, John 10, 17, the Father's love for Jesus. And this is the same concept, the same level of love that God has called us to in relation to our, our wives and, and our families. And we're called to love them in such a way as they, to have a deep love for them, a sacrificial love for them, a, a selfless love for them. We're to love them unconditionally. We're to love them with, with gentleness. We're to love, the Bible says over in 1 Peter 3, 7, that we're to honor our wives as unto the weaker vessels and mean to be gentle with them, to be kind towards them. We're to give them honor or to value them greatly. All of this is to be a reflection of God and what God, how God sees us and how God views us and how God loves us, and how God cares for us, and how God uh, is compassionate towards us, and how God is forgiving towards us. All of this stuff is a reflection of God. All we're doing is we're saying to our, to our wives in this situation that God loves you this much. God cares for you this much. God is forgiving of you this much. God is gracious towards you this much. In, in everything that we do, we're saying to them, this is what God is like. This is what Jesus Christ is like, and, and his love is, is, is never ending. It's, 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 it's sufficient. It's, it's always giving. It's always kind. It's always gentle. It's, it's always what it needs to be. We're called to represent this to our wives 
to love them in such a way that they do not become embittered. The word embittered here, it says do not be harsh with them. It comes from a word that means to make something bitter. It's translated in the Bible in, in reference to making, making uh, uh, a drink bitter or making bitterness in your stomach. When you eat something, there's a bitterness in your stomach. There's a, there's a, there's a churning in your stomach. There's a, a lack of, of comfort or, or lack of restfulness or a lack of relaxation. What he's saying is, is love your wives in such a way as not to create that within them. Love your wives in such a way as to create a, a restfulness within them. That's what God does for us, right? The, the ultimate expression of God's love is what he did to cause us to rest and trust in him. So the, the Lord says to us to, to love our wives in such a way as not to embitter them. And remember that if we embitter them towards us, we're not just embittering them towards us, we're embittering them to towards that relationship, that, that husband relationship that Christ is calling all of us to. Do not embitter them. So love your wife in such a way, love your wife in such an extreme way that as to cause her to be restful in her spirit and not embittered or not discomforted in her spirit. You can always think about the idea of being bitter this way. How many of you have ever eaten something bitter in your mouth? You put something bitter in your mouth. Anybody out there ever done that? Okay, what does your face do when you eat something bitter? What does your face do when you eat something bitter? I'm not gonna, exp- I'm not gonna do it for you up here. <laughs> but your face goes crazy, right? I mean, it just kind of turns. Bitterness is the same thing in your stomach, It's when your stomach does what your face does when you put something bitter in your mouth. There's something about bitterness in the the spirit that when something happens or when you're around a certain person or you're around a certain situation that your stomach gets into that same knot, right? That your face gets into. What the Lord is is challenging us, guys, what the Lord is encouraging us to do is to love our wives in such a way that that never happens inside of them. It never happens inside of them that they don't feel that. They're at, it's hard. <laughs> it's so hard, isn't it? It's difficult to be that type of a person, to love in such a way that your mate never feels any type of knots in their stomach when they're in situations with you or, or whatever might be the case. But that's what the Lord calls us to. Why? Because we're representing him. We're saying to that person, I am just like God, your husband, pursue him. This is what the Lord calls us to. This is the, this is the instructions that he gives us. So, so the first instruction is simple. Guys, we're to love our wives so that they, do, they don't have any bitterness inside of them. We're to be sacrificial for them. We're to be gracious towards them. We're to be forgiving of them. We're to be kind. We're to be gentle. We're to be all of these things so that our wives can live a life of restfulness. Okay, he, go, he goes on to say, secondly, he says, children, um, or uh, the end of verse 21, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And the second instruction that he gives to us, fathers, in regards to this whole thing of influence is that don't provoke your children because if you provoke your children, they may become discouraged. And we'll just look at these two things together. The, the word provoke means to, to stir up, to excite, 
to stimulate. Um, I added a few other definitions that I felt like were maybe more understandable from our perspective, to poke or to prod, to, to agitate. Okay, he's saying, dads, don't, don't agitate, don't agitate your kids. Don't, don't poke at them, don't prod at them. He uses, he uses the same term in Ephesians 6 and verse number 4. He's talking about uh, do not provoke your children to anger. Here he says, do not provoke your children that they do not become discouraged. And the word, again, the word provoke here, it means to, it means to stimulate strife, to stimulate debate, or to, to stimulate contention. I'll tell you a, a personal story my son and I, we, we, we're both very, uh, we, we love athletics, and we love things that have to do with athletics. We don't always love the same teams. And, and I learned, I learned this, because not only are we both com- very competitive, but we're both very good arguers as to why we're right and the other person is wrong, right? <laughs> we're all good at that. But I, I learned this is something in the last probably five years of my life. I learned this that disagreeing with my son over an athletic team accomplishes nothing. I learned that I, I'm wasting my energy and my time having a conflict with my very special son um, and losing things of value based upon who thinks which team is better. So, so I adopted some of my son's teams. And sometimes I'll cheer for his teams just because I know that I want to avoid the conflict. I don't want to push. You, you ever been around somebody that just knew how to push your buttons? Yes. Right? This is, okay. We've got some strong amens on that one. Right? This is what he's talking about. He's talking about, he's talking about dads. Be careful not to, push, not to push your children's buttons, in, especially in areas where it's not necessary to push their buttons. I've often said this. Kids... Kids love their dads, don't they? Yes. Kids love their dads. They don't get to choose what their dad is like. But they still love their dads. And it takes a great failure on the part of a dad for a kid to stop loving them. Because there just is something there. There's some kind of a connection there. That is, it, it's, it's, it's just, it's spiritual, it's unique. We dads get to choose what kind of dads we be we get to decide what type of influence we're going to be. We're going to influence them. We get to decide what type of influence we're going to be. So the Lord says to them, don't, the Lord says to us, guys, he's like, it's important, as, as an influencer of your children, it's important to not prod them, to not poke at them. Um, and, and several commentators talked about ridicule, saying things to belittle, things like that. It's just like poking at their, at their failures and their faults and, 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 and things like that, constantly discouraging them. And, and he uses that term here. He says, unless they become discouraged. So obviously, remember this too. Obviously, the Lord's desire for our children is that they not be discouraged. That our, our children be hopeful, our children be, be the, the opposite of discouraged is just take the dis off, right? It is courage. What the Lord, is, what the Lord desires for our children is that they be, they, they be full of courage. And he says this, he says, if you poke them and if you provoke them and if you prod them, you're going to, you're going to ultimately influence them and they're going to be discouraged. 
And the word just simply means to be disheartened, to have a loss of spirit, to be broken in their spirit, to be dismayed. And this ultimately leads to kids who live in fear, they live in bondage, they, live, they, they, they lack uh, faith to do anything in life because they've lost courage. The Lord says, because we're influencers, guys, we're influencers. We're going to impact and influence our wives and our children. Because we know that and we embrace that, we make, it a, we make it an important point not to be a source of discouragement to them, but to encourage them, to lift them up, to build them up. I was reading a message this week from, from, from John Piper. He was dealing with this text as well, and he said this. He said, this is the father that gives a child hope. It's a father that gives, gives a child, it's a hopeful father. And that's the type of father that we want to be, right? Would you guys say that our heavenly father is a hopeful heavenly father? Yes. Would you say that? Yes. Would you say that he builds within us faith? Yes. Would you say that he builds within us courage? Yes. Would you say that he builds within us confidence? Yes. Would you say that he builds within us love? Yes. He, he builds all of these things with in his children, and he says to us dads, he says, listen, build that within your children. Build the things that I'm building in you, build that within your children, because you have an impact, you have an influence on how they view me. And not just that, but you have an impact and an influence on how they view him. I've had a lot of, I've, I've been in, in church my whole life since I was a, a little child, and I've seen families and homes where they were Christian in name. They were Christian, you know, they came to church on Sunday. And I, you know, I had friends growing up and I went to their house and their, their, their house was, was, was not a representation of what church was a representation of. And, that, and, and almost in every case I see the kids have, have strayed away from the Lord or want nothing to do with the Lord. And the, the, the reflection that they had of the Lord was, was false. It wasn't real. It wasn't, it wasn't right. And so the importance of, of being a, a dad, to being a, a husband that is encouraging, not, not provoking or pushing, pushing buttons, but, it, but being encouraging. The Lord tells us these things in Luke 18, 1. He says, always pray and, and do not be discouraged or do not lose heart. He tells us in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1, because we have such a great ministry of mercy, we cannot be discouraged or lose heart. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 tells us because our, our body is decaying, we cannot be discouraged or be disheartened. And Galatians 6, 9 tells us as long as we aren't discouraged or disheartened, we will reap a harvest of our sowing. We dads get the privilege of, of communicating that to our children. We get to infuse that into their world and into their life. So the Lord says, he says, don't put, point or poke at your children in the, to the place where they become discouraged. Over in Ephesians, you don't have to turn there, we read it already, but Ephesians 6 and verse 4 says the same terminology, do not provoke your children so that they don't become angry. So over here you have discouragement, over here you have anger. And, 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 they, and, they, and, they, and they, they correspond together, but there's, there's somewhat of a difference. We want to not push our children to rebellion, to wrath, to anger, 
to frustration, to failure. And there's a number of ways in which that can take place as well in the home. But each child is different. And you have to be discerning of where your children are at so that you can properly train them and raise them that they not be discouraged and that they not be disheartened. That they see God, their heavenly father, as somebody that is good and not somebody that is going to hurt them. This is the instructions of this text. In closing, my last thought this morning is the enabling. If you go back to our text in Colossians, there's an enabling power that causes us or helps us to do this. These instructions are not meant to be um, accomplished in man's willpower or in the power of the flesh or, or in, in, in our own strength. These, these commands are expected to be carried out by God. They're imperatives. They're not optional. The Lord is not saying, if you want to love your wife, then go ahead. He's telling us to do it. But he's also recognizing that these things are not done in our own strength, but they're done in the power of the Lord. He says in verse number 12, uh, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, and forgiveness, and it goes on to other things. Um, He goes on, he says it in verse number 10, and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. The first strength that we have to accomplish this is the Holy Spirit. The Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit lives within us. In Ephesians 5, it says to be full with the Spirit and not be drunk with wine. And then it goes on into all of these instructions. The way that we accomplish the things that God commands of us is by being submitted to God's Spirit. It's by allowing Him to live through us. We we get out of the way, we remove ourselves in humility and brokenness, and we allow the Spirit of God to to work through us. It's not about us changing who we are, it's about us getting out of the way so that He can be seen. What our wives and our children need to see is not what John Prettyman is like, but what God is like. And the only way that they can see that in me is for me to be transparent enough. And you guys know what transparent means. It means to be able to see through, right? That I'm transparent enough that they can see through me and they can see Christ. They can see the Heavenly Father. That's what my calling is. It's not my strength that accomplishes this. It is Christ's strength that accomplishes this in me and through me. So my influence of my kids and my wife is not me influencing them, it's Christ influencing them through me. But that's my calling. I I need to be that person that allows that to be seen through me. So he says, put on the new man. In in other words, let let, let Christ be seen in you, let Christ be seen through you. And this is the strength by which we accomplish what God commands us. He goes on in verse number 16, he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. The word of Christ is just the word of God. The word of God is that source of strength by which this this is carried out. It, It helps us be put aside to be removed so that we can be the proper um, parent, the proper husband that we need to be. And then the last piece of the enabling is just bringing and dwelling. Just two simple words. The Bible tells us in Ephesians uh, 6 and verse 4, um, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The idea of bringing up means to nourish. It's the, it's, it carries with it the idea of planting something and nurturing it, watering it, 
and putting fertilizer on it and watering it and caring for it. It's not something that you do as a, it's not something that you do in a moment. It's something that you do over a lifetime. And discipling your children is not something that you do in a moment. It's something that you do over a lifetime. It is nourishing, it is, it is planting, it is sowing seeds into their life on a regular basis. It is bringing them up, okay? We, we in our culture, we like the idea of sending them up or pushing them up or whatever. It's the idea of bringing them up. It's two people walking together through life. That's what we do with our children. We bring them up. Let's walk through this thing together. Let, let, let me disciple you through this life. We nourish them, we care for them. We have to have that patience and that perseverance in order to impact them for, for good. And then in, in 1 Peter, for the wives, it says to dwell with them. This is the idea of cohabiting with them. It's, it's the idea of being there. Again, both of these terms and both of these principles deal with the discipling of a person, the influencing of a person, not the commanding of a person or the demanding of a person, but it's the impact that our lives have on their life. Does my life impact my wife in such a way that she's bitter inside? Does my life impact my children's life in such a way that they're, they're discouraged or they're angry? My life, not my words, but my life impacts them. It influences them. So I want to spend time and energy and effort in caring for and nurturing my children so that they can see in me what ultimately I want them to see in the Lord. And the same principle goes with my wife. I want to spend enough time with them that they can see in me what I want them to see in the Lord. And ultimately, they will your children, your wife, anybody that you, you influence, ultimately they will embrace the Lord. Because truly that's what matters, isn't it? Obviously we want them to embrace us, but more importantly we want them to embrace the Lord. In the end, guys, we have a great responsibility. We have a great calling. We have a great privilege to impact and influence those around us. The world has convinced us otherwise, and even moved us away from the necessity or the importance of spending time and energy in our families. We must re-embrace, as children of God, we must re-embrace what he's called us to and, and feed into those around us, those like our children and our wives, those things that are reflective of the Lord. I want to close with this. The men are going to, uh, the, the, the worship team, you guys can make your way up if you'd like. I want to close with this um, little um, quote, if you will. It's called, Children Learn What They Live. I thought it was somewhat healthy to describe kind of um, the essence of our service this morning and sermon. If a child lives with criticism, he learns to condemn. If a child lives with hostility, he learns to fight. If a child lives with ridicule, he learns to be shy. If a child lives with shame, he learns to feel guilty. If a child lives with tolerance, he learns to be patient. If a child lives with encouragement, he learns confidence. If a child lives with praise, he learns to be appreciative. If a child lives with fairness, he learns justice. If a child lives with security, he learns to have faith. If a child lives with approval, he learns to like himself. And if a child lives with acceptance and friendship, 
He learns to find love in the world. And what we want to do is let a child learn to love God. And if a child lives with love for God or lives in a place where God is loved, he will, Lord willing, love God as well.